Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds from KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochileo. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cochilillo. And before we get started, I'd like to thank my contributors to the show, executive producer Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, senior editor Amanda Steele, author of Ghosts of Me, binaural production engineer Damien Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, and co-host Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. And if you are interested in becoming a contributor to this podcast, go to everythingimaginable2020.com. And there's a whole bunch of uh, ways you can contribute. Contribute time, money, or whatever you want uh, to keep this show going. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Catherine Andres. Did I say it right? And she is an author and public speaker. And uh, her books include Soul Choices. And she has another one, too. I think my favorite one is about uh, being naked. But <laughs> <laughs> thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, so um, what got you into metaphysics? So I grew up in a family with no religion, which I'm sure I specifically chose that set of parents. And so when I was about 12, 13, I started thinking to myself, well, if religion isn't the answer, because my dad was like totally against religion, um, I had to find something else on my own because I was extremely curious. So um, when I was about 12 or 13, I started going to the library and investigating uh, looking up books. And so I found, I stumbled upon Ruth Montgomery, who was amazing. I read her book and then I started getting into, you know, learning about Edgar Cayce. Um, and I joined a transcendental transcendental meditation group and, uh, started meditating when I was about 13. And so as they say, once you open the door, there's really no closing it. So from that point forward, I investigated deeply all forms of metaphysical study, uh, went to the healers groups, and um, have never stopped since then. Hmm. So what are some of the more esoteric areas of metaphysical studies that you've dived into? Oh, gosh, what haven't I dived into, pretty much. Um, I became fascinated by past lives. Um and so I'd say that that's one of the areas where I highly delved into. And I received a reading when I was in my early 20s, uh, past life reading, and was completely blown away by the information, how accurate it was and how it rang true to me. Um, so I said to myself, I need to learn how to do that. And so um, I went to a school to study, uh, to read the Akashic Records. And my husband and I now have been doing those readings for about 20 years. Um, I also delved into astrology, uh, numerology, and those were a huge benefit in terms of learning about myself, the nature of the world, and so forth. Um, I haven't really gotten too much into, you know, the UFOs, although I do believe that definitely it's all out there and 
and you know other life forms but i haven't uh, really delved into that too deeply um i've delved into visualization um, astral projection those are some of the paths and read countless books I'm, I'm extremely interested also in alternative health so although i don't know if that's you know considered paranormal paranormal uh, or metaphysical but i'd mm. love to understand the body mind connection how thoughts affect the body and all the amazing healing therapies that are out there that work on vibration um, and thought forms interesting did you ever dive into some of the more ancient traditions like hermeticism and stuff like that um, I have not, no. Something still yet to do. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, well, I, I have read um, a little bit of the Anthroposophy, and um, Alice Bailey, uh, I've read a lot of her work. She was an anthro, or what do you call her? Yeah, Anthroposophist, I think, from the 18th century, and has some really great, great books. Hmm. I actually never heard of her. I have to look that up. Yeah. Um. So, with with your, you know, I mean, starting this out as, as such a young age in the meditation practices and um, everything that you've dived into, um, how have you incorporated that into something? I mean, like, like when I look at some of this stuff, like I'm like, okay, this is really cool stuff and it's really interesting. But how do I make this part of my regular life? Like, how is this going to make my life any better? You know, that's always like one of the first things I ask. Yeah, I well, one way I do it is I, I started um, choosing people uh, to be around who are on that path. And <clears throat> you know, they was that saying that, uh, you know, you are the culmination of the five people, you, five closest people you surround yourself with. So I, I think it's really important um, to surround yourself with people on the same wavelength. So I have been able to seek out uh, interesting people on the metaphysical path, uh, married a guy on the metaphysical path. Um, so that's made my life what it is today. Um, I have built a business actually around metaphysics. So uh, my husband and I formed a school called Intuitive School about uh, 20 years ago. And so through that school, we have offered all kinds of classes, readings, coaching. And so that's been obviously a huge part of my career path as well. Um, I'm also a writer. And so I've written um, a couple screenplays in addition to the books. So the books become a platform for my courses. Um, and some of the screenplays, of course, I always squeeze in a little bit of mysticism, mm -hmm. a little bit of the, the metaphysical. So uh, really, I think every part of my life uh, kind of reflects the metaphysics that I've studied. Um, what type of readings do you give? So we offer um, the Edgar Casey style past life Akashic readings. So you can get a past life reading, a past life relationship reading where you and another person, we explore past life and the relevance to today, a health reading, which looks at somebody mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and physically to understand what's happening in all four levels of those of our being. Um, and then we offer business readings. So people say, Oh, that's interesting, a business reading. And basically, if, if you know, if you're an employee at a business with 5000 mm -hmm. people, it 
doesn't work. But if you are the owner of a business, then we can do a reading like that because it's like a health reading because the business, the organization is like a body, right? It has thoughts, it, it manifests physically certain things. The health of the business is, you know, how is it doing financially? So we do those kinds of readings for entrepreneurs or, you know, anybody who owns a business where they are the, the head of the corporation. Hmm. So, so when you do a reading, like if you're doing it Edgar, like Casey style, do you like lay down and sort of go into a chant? trance and just channel information and have somebody else write it down yeah so um one of the things with edgar casey was that he got real burnt out because he did all the readings on his own so the, the technique that my husband and i learned is he interfaces with the public so he puts me into that state that deep relaxation like almost like a hypnotic state mm -hmm. and then he takes over and you know who's ever wasn't for the reading he will talk to them and he leads me under and he does the questions so <clears throat> it's a uh, completely removing the conscious mind filter hmm. and i get to have a little nap and wake <laughs> up when it's all over so so how do you get yourself in a trance state so um it's a lot of work with self-hypnosis and meditation. And then it was trainings with my husband where he goes through a certain process to relax me, to release that conscious mind. So in the beginning, it took quite a long time to, to get down, uh, very relaxed. And now, you know, within five minutes, I can attain that state where the, the conscious mind's out of the picture. So what is the being in the Akashic records like? Is it like a great library with all the information that ever was, that ever will be, is there? So, um, yeah, <clears throat> it's, it's just like if I put out, you know, I want to listen to Country FM and I go to that station and mm -hmm. the music just starts pouring out. It's all based on the person's name because the name is like the radio station. And so when, when we hear the name, it's, there's an immediate connection to that vibration and then the information just pours through me. I'm not reading something. Sometimes I'm seeing pictures, but it, it's so fast because the conscious mind is not there. I'm not thinking about it. It just comes through like that. Um, that's the best way I would describe it, like a download of information mm -hmm. very quickly. So, so what takes longer, the actual download of information or the interpreting the information? Um, well, it happens simultaneously. So it's not like the information comes and then I interpret it. As it mm -hmm. comes, I speak it. Um, so it's all happening at once. Does it change like language and tones like it did with Edgar Casey? Like his, his were like, like his language completely changed when he was in a trance state. It was like almost like this biblical language. Um, people have said I sound different when I do the readings. Um, I don't speak in tongues or different languages or anything like that, but some obviously we, we do readings. People have been from all countries, so the names and stuff will have usually an accent or sound as if they were from that country. But other than that, um, uh, just the voice is different, people have said. so. Hmm. I don't think anybody would want to read the name Cachalillo. <laughs> <laughs> I know, that's a tough one. Um, 
So can you do this for yourself as well? Uh, well, I don't really like to, honestly. <clears throat> um, I feel like I've done it occasionally, but it's just like, you know, cutting your own hair. I kind of prefer to have someone else do it. Hmm. Is it because you find that maybe your own judgment and bias towards yourself gets in the way of a true in, uh, interpretation of what you're receiving? Um, possibly. I just, yeah, I, I kind of feel funny doing it. Um, I try, it's been good information that's come through. Um, I just think it kind of works better when somebody else does it for me. Hmm. So, so does your husband like do it for you and you do it for him? No, he is not a reader. Okay. Um, so he does not do them for me. He is the conductor, as we say. So, yeah. Interesting. When you're doing this, do you encounter any other beings? Um, occasionally, um, somebody's guide will come through, a spirit guide. And that's kind of neat when that does. Sometimes people are specific, specifically requested um, that their spirit guide come through. And so we have done those kinds of readings as well. Do you do any type of mediumship? Uh, no, I, um, I don't. But I do have instances where when I'm with somebody, uh, just spontaneously. Um, here's an example of what happened actually. Uh, two summers ago, we were, I just remember this vividly. We had gone to this uh, woman's house. She took a course, said, come to my house tomorrow, give me a reading. And I'm standing in her house and I said, her son had recently passed away. And I said, okay, is there something about soul, toy soldiers? Um, somebody's showing me toy soldiers and she says, oh my gosh. And she proceeded to tell me that um, she had bought this special set of toy soldiers for her son when he was younger. And he was telling me about these toy soldiers. And then he had a message for me to give to her. So I guess that, in a sense, is mediumship. Um, so I don't consciously do it. Sometimes it just happens specifically, you know, when somebody has recently passed over. Mm -hmm. So how has this changed your life? Has, it, has doing this changed your, your perspective on life and what's important and what's not important? For sure. Yeah, I'm always thinking about, <clears throat> well, if I do such and such an action what's going to be the karmic repercussions, <clears throat> right? I'm always thinking, I know at every moment we are tracing and creating our next lifetime. Right. So I'm very well aware of the importance of the choices that we make it every second. Um, and it's important for me to know that, that I'm on purpose, you know, that I'm following what I came here to do. And so, um, I can quickly pull myself back in line if I feel like, no, I'm getting a little off off course here. Um, but I think the karma one is is big, big. And um, listening to the intuition, you know, and some and it's difficult because we're we're here in this physical world, and you know, so many people are just living a regular life, and it's so easy to just kind of get in that pattern. Um, and not trust when your intuition tells you to do something, you know, that seems out of the ordinary from what everybody else is doing. Um, 
and I've been in different living situations, you know, where I've been with other metaphysical people and it's, it's a different experience. And then, you know, when you kind of move away from that and you're just living in a regular uh, suburbia, um, it's, it's a little bit more challenging to stay in tune with what the intuition is telling you. Hmm. Um, do you think that the decisions that we make in life actually matter? Oh, I do. Hugely. I mean, I know we've done so many past life readings um, where we can see how people are repeating themes, repeating things they've done in their past. And when they get a reading, it's phenomenal because they have a choice. You know, it's like you're at a fork in the road and they're like, well, I could do the same thing that I've done or I could make a totally different choice. Um, so I think it's really impactful, the choices that we make. Do, do you believe that there's like an end to the karma where we can, where we don't have to keep, re, you know, having lives over and over again? And then what happens once we've reached that point where we don't have to do that anymore? Well, that's, that's a great question. Yeah, we have a lot of people that say, is this my last lifetime? I want it to be my last lifetime. And what I say is that, um, you know, we are kind of stuck in this wheel, this karmic wheel of death and rebirth. And until we have learned all the lessons that we need to learn in the physical earth, we will keep coming back. But eventually we move beyond this schoolroom. And it's not that we stop and we're done. I believe that there's other planes of existence that we will go to, or we may choose to become a guide, a spirit guide for somebody else. Um, instead of coming back here in a body. Mm -hmm. So when we master our purpose, people say, well, then what happens? I say, well, you know, uh, you may choose to come back as a master teacher. So Mother Teresa, Gandhi, for example, in my opinion, probably pretty much completed most of their karmic learning and decided to come back in service to help others. And of course, there's always a danger to that of getting sucked into the world and creating more karma for yourself. It's difficult to come back, right? And, and not get sucked into that. Um, so a lot of great souls do that. So that's another option. Um, so many possibilities, endless possibilities. So do we choose our lives beforehand? Well, yeah, I believe that we choose everything based on the mission that we set ourselves up for. We choose our parents, our time period, our country of birth, our sex, um, our astrological influences, everything based on what we came here to fulfill. You know, it's not like we just, okay, I'll come back. Wait, here's a body. Okay, I'll pop in here. We'll see how it goes. You know, I mean, we're, we're wiser than that. We have guides on the other side that help us plan out the life before we come back here. And so we're going to set ourselves up for success. And even sometimes when, when we choose something that's challenging, it doesn't mean that we weren't thinking. It probably means we were. It's like this was a hard lesson we needed to learn. And so we chose something that would help us learn that lesson. So whether it's a you know pleasant circumstance or maybe challenging parents, whatever, um, there was a reason that we chose that. And I always say, if we understand the choices that we made before birth, we unlock our purpose. Mm -hmm. 
when people commit suicide, are they reneging on, our cho- on, their, on their choice that they made before being born? I think so. I mean, I think there, there could be some, some major repercussions um, because you, you have this awesome opportunity in front of you that you chose and you're just basically throwing it away. So a lot of times it's similar to when you keep avoiding a lesson. Hmm. All right. And so eventually you'll come back to a lifetime where the lesson will literally be in your face and very intense so that you cannot avoid it again. So, so the more that we avoid something, the more intense the lifetimes can become. Um, and I think the same thing with, you know, the suicide, uh, we will probably come back to a more intense situation in the same learning situation, but more intense so that we cannot escape it. And again, it's not for our punishment, but it's so that we will learn the lesson. Hmm. See, I look at my life sometimes, and I'm like, there's no way I would have chose this. Like, if I were to choose a life, it would have been like um, Keith Richards' life. <laughs> Not this. Well, you know, a lot of us think that, God, why the heck did I choose this? And, um, <clears throat> you know, the soul doesn't care about prizes and fame and all this stuff. So even when we're living a life that seems kind of humble and maybe simple, we could be making more spiritual progress than somebody who rises to become the president of a country. Mm-hmm. Because it's not the outer, it's the inner. Mm-hmm. And the growth that we make inwardly. So to and, and sometimes this happens when people get a past life reading and they've had this really exciting past life, right? Where they were maybe a pharaoh in Egypt and they're like, gosh. My life now seems so boring and unevolved compared to that lifetime. And we have to remind people, you know, don't, don't look at the outer things. Uh, look at the inner journey. And it's difficult to judge from one lifetime to the next or even to judge our life with our physical eyes. We may not think we're doing anything important, but we very, very well may be. And maybe Keith Richards, you know, I always say, Whatever you chose is perfect for you. There is no perfect life, but there is a perfect life for you and your soul and what it needed. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I still want to be Keith Richards in my next life. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could do that. Although, all have free Although I don't think he's going to give up his position in I know. Well, by, by the time you come back and reincarnate, you probably won't be here anymore. So. <laughs> Unless you become a walk-in, then you know. So what is that? What is a walk-in? So I read about this uh, in my early teens when I discovered Ruth Montgomery. And so a walk-in is basically a soul who, um, instead of incarnating into a newborn, um, incarns into a uh, person who's already maybe in their 20s, 30s, 40s. And it's a choice on both parts. That person feels like my life's complete or for some reason, and the other comes in. So um, that's what a walk-in is. Hmm. That could be a cause for divorce in a lot of situations. A cause for what? Divorce. Yes. (laughs) It's like I woke up and my husband just wasn't the same. I don't know what happened. (laughs) 
Interesting. Um, do you do any other types of readings, like uh, tarot cards or stuff like that? So um, I do actually six uh, types of readings. So apart from the intuitive past life readings that we talked about, um, I do astrology readings, numerology, palmistry, family birth order, and iris analysis. So each one of these is, is an intuitive path that helps us understand ourselves. They're tools for greater self-awareness, for deeper consciousness. And no, neither path is better or worse than the other. They're just different ways to mm -hmm. explore who we are and the many facets of our personality. Wow. So if I hold up my palm, could you read it for me? Well, I really need to see for palm readings and eye readings. I pretty much do them in person only. Mm -hmm. um, although sometimes people can get really good set of eye photos or, or palms. Um, but yeah, just showing something like that on the screen, I wouldn't, <laughs> I'd hesitate to say anything. I've never even heard of an iris reading. How does that work? Yeah. Like, what are you looking for in somebody's eye? Right. So a lot of people have um, heard of iridology, which is a very old science of looking at the physical body and the health through the eyes. So I studied that, but I also studied something called rayed iris, which was created by a man named Denny Johnson. And the rayed looks at not the color, but the different shapes and patterns in the eye. And each one tells the story about the person, your approach, response to life. There's actually 46 positions around the eye. And wherever you have a trait or one of the um, formations, we look at what the formation, what type of formation it is and where in the iris it is because there's 46 different places. So it gives us deeper insight about uh, what area of life and what it what it's further about so we can tell things like whether the person is uh, left or right brain dominant whether they tend to be more inner or outer directed uh, we could tell like purpose creative style approach response to life uh it's a, it's really an amazing study i just i love it hmm. i'll have to look into that if um so what's the purpose of doing multiple types of uh readings so I'm kind of, uh, what do you call it, the type of person that doesn't want to leave any stone unturned. So when I started out myself looking for my purpose, um, I was in my 20s and I had an astrology reading and I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I want to learn how to do it. So I learned it. But as I said, once you open the door, you never really close it. So I said, well, what else is out there? And I was living in California at the time and I found uh, a flyer about the iris study. And I said, wow, that sounds fascinating. I'm going to go. I went to one of the classes and I was hooked. I said, I got to learn more. Um, and so what I found each time I delved into a new path is that sometimes it confirmed what the other path said, but other times it showed me a completely different part of myself. And I thought, wow, I really think it's important to do all these different paths so that you have a full understanding of every aspect of yourself um, and how the how they interact mm -hmm. right because we're so diverse we're so um 
multi-talented and different, you know, so many different facets of learning and styles. So we have to kind of put them all together to really understand ourselves. And I don't think you can do that with just one path. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing your purpose, is it, even, is it necessary to know the purpose? Like if I, if I knew the purpose of my life, sometimes I think maybe that would take the fun out of it. Well, part of the fun is finding your purpose because we're not just born and somebody hands you a paper and says, here's your purpose, Gary. And you're like, oh, great. Thanks. So we never really finish the purpose. So what I, I'll tell you my definition of purpose. It's two parts. One is understanding the gifts and talents that we have, developing them and giving them to offering them in service to humanity. And the second part of our purpose is learning our lessons or mastering those areas in life where we have less experience. And so we may work on one talent for 15, 20 years. Let's say you really get into self-expression through art. After 15 years, you're like, you know what? I've exhausted this path of art. I'm going to develop a new talent. And then you offer another talent to the world. So that it's always evolving and changing and, and upping your game with how you serve others. So there's not an end point, right? There's a multitude of gifts and talents that we can be bringing out. Likewise with the lessons, you know, maybe the lesson we worked on when we were 10 is not the same one we're working on when we're 20 mm-hmm. or 30 or 40. So as you know, the universe loves to, to throw us curveballs and lessons and challenges. So it never, there's never a dull moment. But it's understanding that broad, um, you know, umbrella of gifts and talents and challenges. And then surely when you know what some of your challenges are, it makes life, in my opinion, a lot easier because it doesn't mean you're not going to have to go through the lesson, but you're prepared. You're like, oh, I know what this is about. You know, let, let's say one of them is um, being assertive. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden your kid who was, you know, simple to raise at 14, all of a sudden starts challenging and you're like, oh, and you're really having a struggle with it. You're like, oh yeah, because I'm needing to learn assertiveness. So of course my child, when they become a teenager is going to be really rebellious. So I have to learn that. So at least if you're prepared, it's a little bit easier. And with the gifts and talents, you know, it, even if you know a lot of what they are, um, the fun is developing them and then sharing them with the world Hmm. so how much of this like when i have these conversations the two things that always do come up is learning lessons and serving others why is that like why are those two is is that what i mean i mean if that's the case in life then everybody basically has the same purpose Right. We all have those same two components. I mean, that's why we come to the physical world, right? I mean, we wouldn't be given hands and the ability to create if we weren't to be creating things to help others. You know, the the way we advance um, is is through sharing our talents. If everybody just sat here, you know, we wouldn't have washers and dryers and cars and airplanes and, you know, all these cool things. And likewise, um, if we were perfect, we wouldn't need to come here. So hence we need need to learn some lessons mm. and sometimes people don't like the word lessons because it sounds like oh, school right i gotta learn a lesson yeah i hate so school. I look at it more as like 
these are areas where you lack experience. So you've had many lifetimes and yet there's still some areas that you haven't experienced. Like let's say you've never had to be a leader. And so you say, all right, this is one more area where I need to learn to become proficient. So yeah, it's challenging because you've never done it before. Um, but again, your greatest weakness can become your greatest strength. But then what is really the purpose? What is the purpose of having to um, contribute to humanity and learn lessons? I mean, okay, so we, we, we're learning lessons. We're helping other people out. But what's the purpose? I mean, I mean so it's, even with those things in place, it can still seem meaningless. If, sure, sure. Well, it's all about evolution. So it, it's built in to our design to evolve. So there's no way we're going to get around it. We will evolve, whether it takes us 50 lifetimes, 100 or 200 lifetimes. Mm -hmm. So it's all about evolution. And so, um, and like I said, it, you know, this is one stop on the journey back to the creator, I think. Uh, if we're all mini gods, right? I mean, who's to say we won't create universes one day ourselves? But we, we have to learn the lessons here, just like got to get through kindergarten to get to first grade, to get to second grade. You know, it's, it's like I think the whole concept of school and this idea of the, somebody had this idea in their head, well, we, we have to evolve. So we got to go from grade one to grade two, mm -hmm. you know, and grade three. I think that model is a miniature example of why we're all here. And I think just what's happened is it's gotten lost. We've become so focused on the physical world, you know, forgetting that we're spiritual beings in a physical body, having a physical experience that we kind of lost sight of the bigger picture. Like this wasn't meant to be the end all be all right. Mm. This is just temporary. It's like, this is the, this is the preparation for the next level. And, but we tended to really start liking it and, you know, kind of got off focus. And so I think that's where sometimes it seems meaningless because we've so lost touch with the bigger picture. So how would you rank the human experience? Would it be elementary school, um, middle school, high school, college, grad school? Uh, that's, a, that's a question I can't answer, but I will say... <laughs> Um, it's, it's not for the, for people who, uh, are afraid, right? I mean, this is a very challenging experience. So, you know, I've heard other people say it, even, um, Sylvia Brown, you know, the famous psychic would say, you know, only the brave decide to incarnate in a body and come through this experience because it's not easy. Um, so I don't think it's kindergarten, but I have beyond that. I don't know what grade level it is. Hmm. I wonder if it's a way to find out. I want to know what grade well, I'm. I want to know what grade I'm in. That's not. That's not fair. That's not fair that I'm in the grade eight. And I don't even know what grade I'm in. <laughs> I know, right? It's like I. I agree, but maybe that's to be found out on the next level when we get to it. But again, I if evolution is ongoing, mm -hmm. there is no beginning and end. It would be hard to say what what grade level this is at. 
Do you think everything is happening at once or do you believe in time? That's a great question because I, I actually just finished uh, writing a book on time. Um, and it's a great paradox because on the one hand, in the physical world, time is real. It exists, right? We're oh, sitting no. here not <laughs> on the show at 7 p.m. It's a necessary function of our life. But on the spiritual level, time doesn't exist. And so you get into these ideas where it's all happening at once. Mm -hmm. Time is collapsing in on itself. And yet, while we're in the physical world, it's a logical sequence. It's a real thing. So I think for our understanding is that we have to be able to live in the paradoxes while in the physical world. And time is one of the great paradoxes that we have to uh, live with and understand. Hmm. When you're in a trance, do you step outside of, outside of time when you're giving a I reading? I, I think I do. So on again, on one level, I do. But then on the physical level, people can say, well, this reading took 45 minutes and we started at 7 and now it's 7.45. So... In the physical, it's, it's happening in real time. But when, for example, the reading takes place in the Akashic Records, it's going back in time. So how is that possible, right? Mm -hmm. And then we go to that belief that, well, it's all happening simultaneously, past, present, and future. Um, so again, I do think I step out of the present time because I am going to the past to retrieve the information. Mm -hmm. So what is it that's happening? Um, you mean, in the? Uh, that's a deep question. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you don't have any <laughs> So do you mean just like what's happening in the world or what's happening in the reading? Mm, neither. Like, like when you're... Like, like when you're looking at the time aspect of it and, and you have all this stuff happening in time, okay, where all these different experiences happening either at once or being perceived to be happening in a linear fashion. But the question is, what is it? Well, so one way I look at it is that Akasha is mind substance. And everything you've ever thought, said, or done is being recorded in that akasha. It's like seeds being planted in the dirt. So right now, everything you and I are saying and exchanging right now is being recorded somewhere. And so that we can tap whenever we want and pull it up. It's like everything's being recorded on a cassette tape. Mm -hmm. So we will always have access to it, and it is still alive in a sense. Um, although the present moment is where the action is happening in the physical. That's why all the great masters say, you know, be in the present moment. So while we're in the physical body, we don't want to be living in the past, either a past life or our past when we were 10 years old. We need to be focused on the present to order to get the most out of life. But for certain purposes, we can go back and listen to a cassette tape, right? From a past lifetime to help us in the present, but just to go live in the past 
or dig up all that dirt doesn't really serve us. Do you think there's a singularity? Mm, um, that's a good question. I, I wouldn't know how to answer that. Mm. I think there's, it, again, that may be one of the other paradoxes, right? Singularity versus the the multitude of what's going on. Right. Yeah. How about like multiverses? Yeah, that, that concept came to me a few years ago, which was interesting. This idea that the way I have understood it is that <clears throat> there's parts of ourselves that break off and live other lives in other universes. So mm -hmm. let's say at age 20, I had thought about being a pilot. So maybe on some other in some other multi-universe, there's a part of me that fractioned off and is actually a pilot. You know, um, I think that's possible that we could be living out, you know, different ideas and thoughts on different planes of existence. I think that's a definite possibility. Um, and I think that, you know, the great masters would say they're everywhere. Right. Mm -hmm. And also here. So they were able to project their consciousness to other universes, other places, while also still holding their attention here. Right. So I think that's a definite possibility. And I think when we go to sleep at night, I think we do um, go to other universes. Hmm. Yeah, I, I tend to think that if, if there's multiverses, then that points to that everything has to be happening at the same time because there's multiple me's existing in different places all at the same time mm -hmm. yeah and that's where you know the whole idea of time for our logical mind to comprehend it it can't because it's so not logical and linear and i think that's where as as being in with this conscious mind it's it's hard to even talk about it to even grasp that possibility hmm. and it could also mean that i'm me here right now talking to you and it could be keith richards somewhere else <laughs> that's right <laughs> maybe that's why you have that fascination with him exactly <laughs> yeah well our mind believes what we tell it so you know and um, like when you you brought up one of the other things that you're into and you've written about, which is dreams, and you know, like one of the, you know, and I've always had this dream where I'm running down the street naked and there's a whole bunch of women chasing me. <laughs> I bet you like those dreams. Those I, are the ones you don't want to wake up from, right? Yeah, I love that dream. <laughs> most people yeah. hate. Most people hate that dream. I love uh, it. Yeah, I'm fascinated by dreams, and it's such a doorway to what's going on within a person. And uh, the title of the dream book we wrote was Naked in Public Dream Symbols Revealed. It's kind of like a double entendre because uh, being naked is a very common dream. Uh, but you also get naked in a dream in the sense that the dream really exposes the true you about what's going on. And so it, that title is kind of a play on words there mm -hmm. and naked uh, simply means you're really exposing yourself so um 
anytime we're naked in a dream, we have revealed a part of ourselves. And depending on how we react in the dream to being naked is how we're reacting to being open. So if we're like, oh my gosh, I got to go get my clothes on. I'm freaking out. You know, that's kind of an example of we said something, we revealed ourselves and maybe we reveal a little too much of ourselves, you know, and we're embarrassed mm. about it. Like, oh gosh, I shouldn't have revealed all that stuff about myself. Um, but if you're like, hey, this is totally cool and you feel comfortable with being naked in the dream, that means like you are a very honest, open person and you have no problem revealing yourself to others. Hmm. So that means I'm good because I'm just like, hey, ladies, here I am. Yeah, so all those women are actually aspects of you. So <laughs> one of the rules in dreams is that um, every person, place, and thing in the dream is an aspect of the dreamer. Mm -hmm. So they would all be parts of you. So could this mean that I'm like a little bit too in love with myself? <laughs> well, it would show that uh, there's parts of yourself that really enjoy your openness and honesty right mm -hmm. like there's a part of you i mean you do radio shows right you like to really figure out about a person who they are and reveal who they are through a radio show so i could see how this gym is making sense because you really like to get to the bottom of things right um of who you are and who other people are and you like that part of yourself because obviously you wouldn't be doing radio if you didn't enjoy it Right. And for all these women chasing you, it's like, wow, you know, this is a part of yourself. You really enjoy being open and getting to the core of yourself and other people. Or it's just one of the rewards of having this podcast. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look at, look at Howard Stern. <laughs> uh, is he still on the air? I, I have no idea. I stopped listening to him like a, in the 90s. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, but but with the dreams, um, what are dream? I mean, I've heard there, like, like you mentioned that you think that they are part of a multiverse type of experience. Other people will say that they are just part of the subconscious mind processing information from the day, and then other people. Well, we'll just say, um, I forget what the third one is <laughs> anyway, but everybody has like little different, there's different opinions on what dreams are. Um, do you think that people actually know what dreams are or you think we're just shooting in the dark and guessing? Um, I think that both of those statements are true that, um, Dreams, number one, are a reflection of our thoughts and attitudes of the previous day, kind of played back in image form. But there's many other types of dreams. So that's your typical symbolic dream. Um, there are also um, dreams that are prophetic, where they're not symbolic at all, but we're actually shown something that's going to happen in the future. Um, we can also have visitation dreams, where we go to the astral plane and we actually converse with those who no longer have a body right they're disincarnate mm -hmm. entities and um we could be remembering those visits in the morning 
So there's many different levels um, of dreaming. And one of them is just that typical symbolic dream, right? Where we're sifting through and looking at our reactions to the previous day, to our thoughts and attitudes about what happened in that day. So we always first start symbolically. And then, you know, if someone says, I really think this is a prophetic dream. Then we look at it from that standpoint. Could this be a potential future? And again, the visitation, you know, that's one way we can converse with people who have moved on to the astral plane. Because usually during the day, our mind's too busy, we're too focused. But in sleep, we release that conscious mind. We are open to the subconscious where we can mm -hmm. connect with other entities. Um, do you believe in uh, Carl Jung's model of archetypes? Well, I haven't studied him in depth, so I'm not sure um, of all the archetypes that he's uncovered. So I, I really couldn't answer that. <clears throat> I think he contributed a lot to the dream world, um, for sure. I don't think everything, you know, between him and Freud, I think they contributed a lot. Um, especially the idea that you know, dreams are not literal, but they're a reflection of what's going on with the dreamer. I think that's huge. Do, do you think that dreams can can reveal certain things um, that we need to do? Again, if it's that type of prophetic dream, I think for sure um, we can be given instructions. But how do you tell the difference? So typically we say that it's obviously going to be truthful you know you're not going to have pigs flying if it's information right it's um they're usually more vivid more real than just a regular symbolic dream um and it would be true to life you know there wouldn't be silly things happening or you know things that didn't make sense um so we kind of have to look at every dream in context with that hmm. um and again, when in doubt, if the person believes that it's some kind of message, we always say, well, better to heed that message than ignore it, right. you know? Um, how about like people who can't remember their dreams? Like, like I know, like some people are just like, yeah, I don't dream. Right. So the first thing we would say to those people is everybody dreams every night, whether you remember them or not. It's a phys physiological process. For example, when people are denied sleep, they start having hallucinations, which is a form of dreaming because it is a necessary mechanism between the conscious and subconscious mind. Um, what's happening, though, is that when we become stressed, super busy, overly focused out here in the conscious mind, that's when we don't remember the dreams. And when we don't put attention on them, when we're told that they don't mean anything, why pay attention to them? Mm -hmm. So to get back into the habit of remembering dreams, um, we recommend people getting a dream journal, saying to themselves before they go to sleep at night, I will remember my dreams, and actually write that sentence out in a notebook. And learning to interpret them, then all of a sudden you've ignited the desire. Oh, I do want to remember my dream mm -hmm. because I can do something with them. I can interpret them and, and have them you know, relate to my life. Mm. So... When people start to do that, they have a purpose for remembering the dreams. They can begin to see the meaning and the importance of them. Usually, little by little, they'll start remembering. 
And sometimes we recommend little routines for people like before bed to get relaxed. You know, maybe it's take a shower, maybe do a little meditation, you know, don't look at a screen right before bed, you know, turn off the computers, the TV, have some time um, to relax. Maybe it's reading, you know, not on a computer screen, though, a real book, um, relaxing to you, whatever, release the thoughts of the day and then go to sleep. And then in the morning, maybe set that alarm five, 10 minutes earlier because the reverie state is that state between awake and asleep. And that's where we want to capture the dream. So, you know, if you set your alarm for the last minute possible to jolt out of bed and get to where you need to go, you don't have time to remember the dream, right? You're too focused on, oh my God, coffee, got to get out the door. So five, 10 minutes extra, you're like, okay, I can, I can sit here. It's like an echo, right? Dream and it'll come back. It's like when I hit the snooze button. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. Have you ever heard of dream incubation? Yes. That's really interesting. I just learned about this like a few weeks ago during another interview mm-hmm. where the idea that you, if you have a question, you kind of ask it to yourself like, you know, 10 or 15 times before you go to sleep and you do it for like a month until you get the answer to your question in your dream. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, dreams can definitely be used to gain insight and answers to questions, problems, whatever. So um, I often will do that, you know, when I think about it. Hmm. It's like a free teacher every night. So that's another thing that would actually help people remember their dreams. If they're asking a question, they're going to want to remember because, they're oh, yeah, I'm supposed to get that answer tonight. Interesting. Um. I, I ask this question almost everybody that I do dream episodes on. Um, if I dream of a different sex partner other than my wife, does it count as cheating? Or is it a freebie? <laughs> That's a freebie. <laughs> <laughs> it's happened to all of us. I had a girlfriend once. She swore if I dreamed about another woman, it was cheating. <laughs> yeah, and that's where dreams come in handy because it it they're literally can they literally can cause marriage problems when people think they're you know attracted to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had to be really careful not to talk in my sleep when I was in that particular relationship. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, we actually release um, a, a chemical substance in the body that paralyzes us. Mm-hmm. So that way we won't harm ourselves when we're going through battles or whatever in the dream and we won't be hitting people and so forth or harming ourselves. But what happens sometimes with the, with the sleep talking, um, sometimes that chemical begins to wear off too soon before we've woken up. And so we can move around and talk. Um, or sometimes we haven't completely released the conscious mind. We've got worries and stuff. And so we're still got some attention in the consciousness, which is, allows us to be able to speak. Hmm. I don't know about that sleep paralysis thing. I actually had somebody, um, a relationship with somebody who had a really traumatic childhood with a lot of abuse. And she would wake up in the middle and she would wake me up. She would be asleep and she'd be like beating the crap out of me while she's asleep. She'd be hitting me and stuff. 
Well, you know, it's supposed to work where it does paralyze us, but sometimes it can wear off and you can have mobility in the dream. I mean, that's also what allows people to sleepwalk. You mm-hmm. know, they're still asleep, but they're able to walk. So they're overriding that chemical. And, and I think fear. So if you have been abused and there's fear there, fear could possibly override it. Hmm. It was weird. I mean, I never hit back at least. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I would just kind of gently kind of slide out of bed. <laughs> right, right. Oh. Um, with people, though, with those type of traumas, um, you know, you, like I know like one of the common things like with sexual abuse and different trauma that people experience as children is they build a mental block. You know, to, to, to not remember it, but yet they cannot block it from their dreams. You know, it comes up in their dreams. And that's one of the things that causes that type of reaction. Mm-hmm. Well, so again, dreams aren't literal. Mm-hmm. So if there is something, you know, where they're being abused in the dream, we'd have to look at that symbolically but it could be triggering something in them as well if they have a memory of that. So that's where it gets a little complicated. But um, like, for example, rape in a dream. So sex in a dream indicates creation. It just means that you have come together harmoniously with another aspect of your thinking to create Mm -hmm. something. And it's enjoyable, right? Because creating in the physical world is enjoyable. So rape is where you feel like something is being forced upon you and you are rejecting um, what you have drawn to yourself. You might think, well, that's crazy. Who would do that, right? Well, how many times have some has a person said, oh, I really want this. But then when it gets close to it, they freak out and they're like, oh, my God, no, I no, I can't handle it. I don't want that, right? Like mm-hmm. you want this new job and it. It comes and then you freak out because you don't feel prepared and you reject it. So that would be an example of rape in a dream where you've drawn something to you, but all of a sudden then you're rejecting what that sub what the subconscious is bringing you. Because if you said, I want this job that pays a hundred thousand dollars that I'm the leader and you visualize that and your subconscious does everything possible to bring that job to you. And then you're like, change my mind. I don't want it. Right. Right. So rape in a dream, you know, somebody, a member of the opposite sex, which would represent your subconscious coming at you and you rejecting that feeling like it's being forced upon you. But everything that comes to us is something that we have on some level created, maybe even not wantingly. Right. Like, you know, we have deep subconscious patterns where we can sabotage ourselves. And we say, well, I didn't want that. Well, some level in some of your thinking caused you to draw that to yourself. Mm-hmm. So you you believe that we create our own reality and draw things that we want? For sure. And things that we don't want, right? Because we have a, you know, sometimes we think thoughts that um, we don't want and we attract those as well. We attract what we think. We've all heard the story of two people that go to Chicago for the weekend. They're, mm-hmm. Let's say they're from a little town in Iowa, never experienced crime. And one of the persons is all excited about the trip to Chicago. They think it's going to be the most awesome, fun trip. 
The other person is petrified. Oh my gosh, they've seen reports about the high crime rate in Chicago and two, every five minutes somebody gets mugged and blah, blah, blah. So they both go to Chicago and the person who just, one of them has just this awesome time and the other person uh, ends up getting robbed, right? He didn't, he or she didn't want to be robbed, but they had these subconscious thoughts that, oh, it's a real dangerous place. And they drew that to themselves. Hmm. So if that's the case, then that means there's no, would that mean there's no such thing as fate? Well, fate to me is like the blueprint of our life that we created before we were born. It's like a movie script. We've kind of already written it, but there's different ways the script could go. We might change the ending. Um, so I think that the destiny part is, you know, the purpose, what we came here to do, what we scripted out. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's things along the way where we may say, oh, I'm going to change the script. Hmm. Um, or the destiny might be so compelling that we follow that. I guess so. I don't know. I mean, there's been things in my life where I look, like, I'm pretty sure I didn't think them. You know, I didn't imagine them. I didn't want them. But they just happened anyway. And there's been, I mean, in my whole life, I've always just wanted to be Keith Richards. And that's just never happened. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes... It never materialized. A- like, it's been the biggest disappointment ever. You know, ever since I've read the book, The Secret... You know, I did the visualizations, I I took on the persona, I drank the whiskey, I smoked the cigarettes, (laughs) nothing. So, yeah, there's a multitude of reasons why sometimes a visualization doesn't come to fruition. And sometimes it's doubts that we've prevented it ourselves, we've limited ourselves. Mm. Sometimes it's other things. It wasn't doubt. Uh, maybe it wasn't for our highest good and we got steered away from it. There's so many different reasons why. I don't like Um, this highest good thing. It gets in the way. I know, right? (laughs) So I I think the way to look at it is going back to that question you asked me earlier, is is all this meaningless? So I think in the grand scheme of things, what they always say is, is it's not so much important what happens to you, but how you respond to what happens to you. Mm -hmm. So we may be stuck in a tsunami or go through a tornado. It's like, oh, my whole life's ruined, right? Or how do we respond to that event? So that may be more important than what actually occurs in our life is how we respond to it. Hmm. I don't know. I'm going to have to think about that one for a while. I I think I tends to look at life more as predetermined um, but I have a choice of whether to accept it and go along for the ride and try to enjoy it or resist it and be miserable right well yeah resisting what is will make us miserable right accepting what is uh, will make life a lot easier and will give us the freedom free us up to be able to create in the future something that we do want. Mm -hmm. But it all starts with accepting what is. So yeah, it's like if I wake up today and it's cloudy and rainy, I could sit here all day and be like, oh man, I'm so mad at rain. 
right? It's going to make my day miserable. Or like you said, I could just be like, well, oh, great. That means I get to stay at home and snuggle on the couch and read this book I've been wanting to read and drink some hot cocoa and you have a great day. Mm -hmm. So those are two different ways to approach life. Hmm. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Like a lot of it is attitude and perception. But even even there, like if, I, if my life is just attitude and perception, then there's really no lessons. Well, I think the lesson is how we respond mm -hmm. to the situation, how we perceive it, how we respond. So, uh, for example, right now, you know, um, obviously about a year ago, the world started crumbling, right, with everything happening. And in the beginning, you know, myself included, a lot of us, oh, I just want like to go back to the way it was. This is horrible. And, you know, anger and, you know, not liking what we were seeing. And then when I started giving up the resistance to what was happening, amazing things started happening and doors opening as I became flexible and said, well, how could I respond to this situation in the changing world? And right. that's when that that's where the growth came. And then that's where other opportunities and ways out of this mess began to appear. And then the lesson was, okay, are you going to respond? Are you going to take action? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess with this, like the COVID thing, like for me too, I guess some of it depends on age, you know, I, like when COVID has happened, like it was easy for me to look back and be like, all right, well, I've been through 9-11. I've been through the Great Recession. I was through the recession before that. You know, it's like, this is, it's just another thing. It's just another thing that happens. It sucks and it'll go away eventually. Right. The, the cycles of life, right? The ups and the downs, sure. Yeah. It, it's like almost like I stopped caring. Like, I was like, all right, well, it's just another thing. And I always say, well, somehow I chose to be at this moment at this stage in my life. So uh, how am I going to respond to it? Mm -hmm. Wow. I, I don't know. You know, I, I, I just have trouble with the manifesting part because maybe I haven't experienced it or what I've experienced in a lot of ways for me personally has been kind of the opposite. You know, like my whole life was always sort of geared towards I don't know, just wanting to play music and have fun and do things like that. I never th thought that my biggest success would be a podcast, but here I am. I'm doing a podcast. It's the first thing I ever thought I'd be doing, and it's also the most successful thing that I've done. Interesting. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, when my husband and I started a radio show uh, two and a half years ago, it just fell into our laps. It was like, oh, we're doing a radio. Uh, sometimes it's the most unexpected things. Um, but I would look for the thread of similarity between the, the music and the podcast. It's, you know, it's a way to express oneself. Um, there are some similarities. And obviously it came your way for a reason. And maybe it's more important than, and, and you know, in terms of the music, like I always say to people, well, People say, oh, I want to write a book, but I'll never be famous like J.K. Rowling. And I said, you know, that's not the point. The point is, if, if this is something you want to do and you're passionate about it and you have something to say, then 
then write the book. Don't worry now about the how. Mm -hmm. It's going to become a top seller, whatever. One person, even if one person finds that book and reads it and gets something out of it, you've made a difference. Hmm. Who cares if 150 million people didn't read it? Even if only 10 people did and got something out of it, it was worthwhile. So, you know, even though you weren't Keith Richards, maybe the music that you played, wherever you did, changed somebody's life because they really got into the music that you played. And we'll sometimes never know the effect we've had on other people until we pass on. And then we'll get that life in review. Like, oh, wow, I impacted a lot of people. I had no idea. Another thing that I absolutely dread. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to the life review. I always want to skip that part. <laughs> I don't think you can. <laughs> from everything I've heard from near-death experience survivors, you'll get the life in review whether you want to sit down and watch it or not. Oh, man. It's terrible. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I had an, an I've had out-of-body experiences you know, before during like epileptic seizures, and it was cool. It was fun. There was no life review. It was just like this psychedelic experience. So I, I maybe maybe I didn't. I wasn't close enough to death to have to go through that review. Um, you know, it was just a pleasant experience. Mm -hmm. But the idea of having to look back and, and review my life is just awful. It's not right. My life's personal. It's mine. I don't want anybody else reviewing it with me. Like, like it sounds like some kind of AA thing or something. <laughs> well, it'll, it'll be interesting. It's like uh, I always laugh at that movie, Defending Your Life. Did you see that? No. Oh, with Meryl Streep. Yeah, you got to see it. It's about reincarnation so when they, they pass on they have to defend the choices and things they did in life hmm. it's great it's it's a fun movie and uh brings in that concept of what are we going to have to face when we get to the other side in terms of what we did the choices we made interesting yeah i don't want to defend it i can't my life has been indefensible <laughs> <laughs> it's just i'm gonna have to sit back and cringe Especially the first 30 years of it. Well, you know, I think that's one of the things we do is we're hardest on ourselves. We're so hard on ourselves when, you know, usually we, we do the best that we can with what we've been given. And so even if we did look back and say, oh, why did I do that stupid thing? I always say, you know, most people make the best choices they can with the information they have at that stage in their life. Hmm. Who is the reviewer? That's a good question. I think that when we get to the other side, our guides will be there. Guide, guides, teachers. And together we'll all sit down and try to understand the crazy life that we've all lived. Hmm. I don't know if I need to understand it. Can't I just be given another life, another adventure, and just move past this one? Well, I think the assimilation process is highly valuable because if you don't understand your life and assimilate it, basically you probably will just have a repeat, a rerun, like Groundhog Day. 
So I always say to people, you don't even have to wait till you die to review your life, to assimilate mm-hmm. it. Like every moment now was, is important to assimilate and ask ourselves, well, why did I feel this way? Why did I do this? And as we do that and understand ourselves better, then, you know, we'll make progress in this life. Likewise, life between lives. There's a lot of work to be done. And I think the more work that we do on the other side and understand, we won't have to come back and live through the same lessons and the same hardships because we've gained an understanding. And then when we feel ready to come back and take on another body, that we've learned everything we can, then we will. Hmm. Uh, this just sounds like too much work. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what is this uh, six past to find your life? Let's just go there. Maybe that'll be less work. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, th- those are all paths to help us. <laughs> well, past, present, and future. Where did I come from? Where am I now? And and where am I heading? So, all those different paths that I talk about, from astrology to you know, to past lives will show us the past, where we currently are now, and the potential of where we can go. Mm-hmm. How did you come up with the six paths? So it was really by trial and error. I myself was a seeker and um, said, I want to find out everything I can about myself and my purpose. Why am I here? What is the purpose of my existence? And so, like I said, I, I started with astrology and from there began trying to read and find out about every other technique or tool for self-awareness that was out there. Mm-hmm. And I believe that I've, I've found those six that are, to me, the most useful. There could be a few others out there, um, but those gave me pretty much all the answers about myself that I needed. Does my life have to have a purpose? Well, I think so. Otherwise, you go, we go through a lot of trouble for nothing. You know, it's not easy to, to be born, to have to go through, you know, those first years of our life where we have to learn everything new again, how to walk, how to talk, you know, how to feed ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of work, right? And so why would we do all that for no purpose? You know, it, it's not easy being a mm. spiritual being in this physical plane. So if, if we just wanted to have fun, you know, we'd probably just the body and float around out there. But to choose a difficult, challenging experience like this without a purpose makes it even more challenging in my mind. I guess. But there's a lot of fun to be had here. Sure. Almost enough fun to make me want to do bad things so I could keep coming back. Yeah, I love that because so many people just want to get out of here. They're like, what do I have to do to make this my last lifetime? So it's good to hear somebody that actually wants to come back again. (laughs) Yeah, this is it for me, you know? (laughs) Well, yeah, we'll we'll keep coming back to we don't need to anymore. (laughs) Um. But one of the things that you mentioned, too, in the name of your book is Soul Choices. Um, so when just the title of the book makes me, I don't know, think that you must have a belief in e, an eternal soul. 
that 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 there is a human being that actually that there is something that actually exists that there is a me an i yeah so beyond this big meat body that we have right is the this is the seat of the soul is the subconscious mind and so that is the the permanent part of ourselves so every experience every piece of wisdom everything we've ever learned said or done is stored like i said in that akashic substance which is the subconscious mind and that lives beyond death physical death so when we die the body dies the conscious mind dies but that soul that subconscious mind that resides in the soul lives on so everything we've learned and experienced we get to keep mm-hmm. and then we again choose another body and all the wisdom from all the lifetimes we've had gets to go inside that mind but then what happens is start fresh with a conscious mind a fresh slate that's why people say well i'm had so many lifetimes i should already know how to walk and talk and all this well the conscious mind has to relearn all those basic things the subconscious knows it all so there is a relationship between that conscious and subconscious mind and that's why you do have stories of children who begin recounting past lives to their mm-hmm. parents saying, i remember i was this this and that that subconscious information seeping through that's how we can explain a child genius like mozart at age six playing the piano because mm-hmm. those subconscious memories he was able to tap those so so, so if, we, if we could do that, though, if we could figure out the trick, we could save ourselves a lot of trouble. Definitely. Well, I, you know, it, I think the trick is the, the basic spiritual principles. If we started from young age, meditating, dream work, opening up to the, all those faculties stored in the subconscious, we would be able to pull on all those understandings and wisdom that we've built over lifetimes. Mm-hmm. But what happens is, like most of us, maybe in our 20s or 30s, we open up to this, oh, metaphysical world. But for 30 years, it went dormant. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I don't know. I guess I will find out. Or maybe I won't because I'll probably skip the life review. <laughs> part. You'll have to let me know if they let you skip that one. I, I, I can kind of picture how this is going to go down. I'm going to die. And they're going to ask me to have a life review. And I'm just going to take off all my clothes and run down the street and imagine that there are a bunch of women chasing me. <laughs> oh, maybe that'll be an eternal dream that plays over and over. <laughs> Oh, I love it. Do you think that there's um, a heaven and hell? In our mind? Yeah. I definitely don't believe this idea that we're ever going to be stuck at some level like hell for eternity. Because as I said, I believe that it's it's a built-in function to evolve. Our evolution is built in. We cannot avoid it. It may take us a long, long time, uh, but it will get there. So... Mm-hmm. There's never this eternal cursing of being in hell, right? Um, 
I think definitely when we die, there's different levels of awareness. And so somebody who resonates with evilness or whatever will be aware on the other side of evilness, whereas other people will pass through those levels um, into higher levels of awareness um, that will be more pleasant. Uh, so. So if, if, if every, are, are there people that you think that purposely try to de-evolve? That purposely try to what? De-evolve or unevolve. Oh, um, I don't think it's a purposeful conscious choice. I think that it's a, a sabotage technique um, that unfortunately some people succumb to. I don't think anyone would consciously want to de-evolve. Um, they may be unaware of what they're doing and that it's causing them to de-evolve because they may think in their mind they're doing the right thing. Um, you know, like some people say, you know, Hitler thought he was doing a good thing by cleansing the world of other ethnic races that weren't good. You know, maybe uh, somewhere in him, he thought he was doing the right thing. Right. But obviously he was creating some horrific karma for himself. So I think there's just a lot of misguided um, souls. Hmm. I would just want to be able to de-evolve enough to keep staying here on Earth. <laughs> well, I guess you'll find out if you come back again. <laughs> <laughs> or I just keep dodging that life review. I could keep coming back, maybe. I know, right? Yeah. Well, Edgar Casey said in his readings, he said the, repeated over and over that the, the greatest way to evolve is to be of service to others. So mm -hmm. you could completely stop being of service in any form to anybody. Do you know uh, Rad Al, JMD board? No. No? Because he's also, um, he covers all the topics that you cover. The, the Edgar Casey, dream interpretation, um, it's just interesting that, that, that you and him have this same, the Akashic records, he, he does all that stuff. Ah, cool. So you and him have a lot in common. Yeah. You'll have to, uh, connect us on social media. Yeah. Oh, he's been on my show a bunch of times. If you look back on my shows, you can listen to some of those episodes. They're pretty good. Okay. It's interesting. Um, so before we wrap it up, where can my listeners find you? Sure. So our school is www.intuitiveschool.com. Or you can also find me at masteryourlifepurpose.com. And every Saturday at 1 p.m., we do a radio show called Spirit's Journey. So you can find us there as well on Truth Frequency Radio. Awesome. So just send me those links and I'll post them in the notes of this episode so my listeners can check them out while they're listening. Awesome. I will do that. Thank you. Great. Well, thanks for being on today. It was a pleasure. And just hang out one second. I'm going to play the outro. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. 
Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life, because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you love what you listen to, don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe.